Hello, welcome to North Valley Church's Sermon Podcast. We are in a series titled, The Heart of Easter. If you would like more information about our podcasts or North Valley Church, you can find us on our website, nvcmd.org. PD, I appreciate your, uh, your, your bumper videos. I was born in 1987, but I love the 80s, so there's always a general 80s vibe to them, and I enjoy that. So good morning, everybody, again. How's everyone doing? It's cold again for some reason. I thought we were going to have uh, springtime early. Not the case. We had a baseball event yesterday. It was frigid. I was very angry about it. So were my kids. But uh, that's not why we're here to talk about that. We're here to start off an Easter series. Uh, Easter will be here before we know it, about a month. So we're going to, over the next few weeks, talk about uh, some spiritual laws. Has anyone ever heard that term before? Four spiritual laws, to be specific. We're going to be breaking them down over the next four weeks. Um, And if you've not heard of the four spiritual laws before, just like there's laws that govern our physical world, uh, there's laws that govern, govern our spiritual relationship with God as well. So uh, today, what we're going to talk about is the first one, which is pretty simple. God loves us. But not only does he love us, he has a perfect plan for our life. And if you grew up in church, it's probably something you've heard before, maybe God, you know, God loves you, you know, God loves the little children, God loves us, and there's plenty of scripture to back it up. Um, Now, when you hear perfect plan for our life, I'm going to give a little bit of a disclaimer, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I know in my early days as a Christian, I might have heard that and thought, well, does that mean that God's controlling what we do? The answer is no, hard stop. Okay? Just because he has a plan for us doesn't mean he's controlling our every move. We're not robots, right? We still have free will. Uh, if you want to talk about that more, that's a conversation for another time entirely. Not after church because we have the budget stuff, <laughs> but maybe later. But, um, but we do have free will. Okay? We do have uh, the choice to follow God's perfect plan for our life. Now, he's had this plan in place since the beginning. You know, I read through the creation narrative, you know, it's methodical. There's, there's reason behind how he designed everything. So God, who exists outside of space and time, has a plan overall, but for each of us individually as well. And it's important that we recognize that. Um, now, as you read through Genesis, obviously, Adam and, Adam and Eve kind of uh, did their own thing and kind of put a little bit of a speed bump in God's plan, but he knew about that. He knew that was going to happen. God is all-knowing. Omniscient is the word. He knew that was going to happen, so he has plenty of 
contingencies and, and, and things in place to overcome Adam and Eve, to overcome when we fall short. He has the knowledge to be able to prevent that plan from being messed up. So what I really want to focus on today, obviously I want to talk about how God loves us and also how his plan is perfect for us. Um, and I want to look at evidence. And we could probably, you know, do this one of two ways. We could have like this powwow where we talk, we can all share stories about how maybe we've seen God work in our life or, you know, we could go straight to the source. And the source is the Bible. Okay. This is where all of our evidence is. And we're going to talk more specifically about Scripture here in a second and how important it is. But before we do that, I think it's important that we look at the character of God because love is at the core of God's character. And you might say, well, some of that Old Testament stuff, it gets pretty rough. God gets pretty angry. As a loving father should. When, people, when, when my kids mess up, I get angry, probably a little bit too angry at times. Um, you know, I've always given the example of, you know, if, let's say my son hits his sister, yeah, I'm going to be angry. I don't want my son to think that's okay, but it's because I love him that I discipline him, that I want to reinforce positive behavior rather than that negative behavior. Now, could I approach it a little softer? Yes. But anger is, a, is, is an emotion that can result from you know, somebody you know, not doing what you expect or what, what the, uh, the expectation or meeting the expectation it is. So to say, well, God's wrathful, God's vengeful in the Old Testament and you know, this, that, and the other, when God show, exhibits those things, it's out of love for his creation. Because God wants us to recognize the plan he has in place. His character is consistent from the Old Testament to the New Testament and even today. Um, and personally, it took me a while to realize that as I've studied and grown in my relationship with Christ. Because, again, when I was a young, younger Christian, I kind of, you know, you hear people say things like, oh, well, God's way different in the Old Testament. He's really not. He's consistent through the entire Bible. So, uh, first scripture I want to look at is Isaiah 54, 10. I'm going to read that real quick for you guys. Though the, mountains, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed says the Lord, who has compassion for you. And what I wanted to pay attention to in this verse is the language around how it describes his love. Unfailing. It will not be shaken. My covenant of peace. God, God is, is promising a peaceful existence. He's, he's saying, my love will never fail you. I am always going to love you despite what happens. And, and again, as you study Scripture and read through the Bible, 
that language around how it describes God's love is consistent, unfailing. When Jesus talks about loving, he talks about it being an, an unfailing love, a never-ending love, an eternal love. God's core of his character is love. He wants to see us benefit from that and embrace that. Now, probably the most uh, recognizable verse we're going to go over today, or most notable, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I don't know about the other dads in this room, but I don't know that I'm prepared to make the sacrifice with my son that God made with Jesus. Um, To send your son to earth to live for 30-odd years and then be tortured and crucified, I can't think of a greater demonstration of love than that act. If I don't, I don't even know how else to frame it. I kept thinking of how to kind of expand on the thought and, and extrapolate even more from that verse. But what it boils down to is the sacrifice of Jesus. Literally giving your life for your creation, for us, who don't deserve it. You know, all the, all the bad things leading up to when Jesus was crucified, uh, you know, we certainly did not deserve his sacrifice for us to be able to be redeemed to God's plan. And we'll talk more about what I mean by that here in a minute. But I certainly could see myself sacrificing my life for my son, but not the other way around. I love my kids too much. I wouldn't want to see that happen. And that's just me being honest. One of the uh, best things that we can look at as well is the actions and and testimonies of the apostles. Um, And Paul, in Ephesians, he says, next slide, there it is. Because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead to transgressions. Again, speaking of you know, mankind's misdeeds that they committed up to the point of the crucifixion. It is by grace you have been saved. You know, God loves us enough that despite our wrongdoings, despite our shortcomings, despite our literal torture of him uh, in Jesus, he's still willing to redeem us. He's still willing to save us so that we can experience uh, life the way he intended. So, so Paul here, and he does it throughout all of his letters, is just echoing the sentiment and the, the powerful words of John 3.16. Now, we are looking at a ton of scripture today, um, and really, it's, it's more than just reading these verses and reading your Bible. One key way that we need to, or one key piece that proves that God is love and his plan is perfect is the Bible. I mean, it is the inerrant word of God. It is his words for us to reference. 
you know, you've heard the Bible stands for, it's like basic instructions for living on earth or whatever it is. It's even more than that. It's, it's, it's instructions on how to adhere to God's plan, how to live a life according to how he designed it rather than how we want. And ultimately, that leads to his endgame, which is communion with him in heaven. That's what he wants for us. So it's important that we are reading our Bible, that we're studying our Bible. There's 66 books of information in here, okay? And they're all different. They're all different genres written by different people, um, but they all have value. They all have immense value for us. In uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, you say, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, training, and correcting in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We all have a calling. We all have a calling from God while we're here on earth so that we can draw closer to Him and develop the character that reflects His. We reflect that love most importantly. And then the second Peter says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's somebody that walked alongside with God and was probably the, uh, we'll say, by his mouth, the favorite disciple. <laughs> Um, although Peter put his foot in his mouth quite often. But Peter is, is reinforcing the idea that this is the Word of God, not just a bunch of guys that got together and started writing stuff down, making stuff up. This was inspired by God with specific people who were chosen to serve God and communicate effectively for him. So when you hear someone say, well, it's just, it, you know, the Bible's just a book written by a bunch of guys. Well, no, it's more than that. It's way more than that. It's, it's God's word, God communication, communicating with his creation. Because he, he, couldn't, he can't stand idly by while we destroy ourselves with our own ambitions and plans. God needed to communicate his plan to us, and he did that through many different ways. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When it says the word became flesh, it's making reference here to Jesus Jesus came to earth as the living embodiment of God, but also of God's word. While he was here on earth, he was fulfilling prophecy after prophecy, indicating that the scripture at the time would have been what the Jews had as the Torah. And he was fulfilling these prophecies that they had been educated on since they were little kids. So that was further confirmation of God's character, 
of the scriptures pointing to God's character and being true. One thing that I've always looked at when I look at you know, God's plan overall is that the way he's designed it is, is there's no other way it could work. So from creation through the Old Testament, everything that's happened up until now, and as we move closer to what would be the second coming of Jesus, that is the only design that's, that's going to work. And if we want to have a good comprehension of God's plan and of God's character, it's not enough to just read this book. Read these books, I should say. I can pick up a book every morning on quantum physics and read through it throughout the day. But if I'm not putting into practice what the book is telling me to do, to actually understand the concepts and all the difficult things that I'm sure go along with quantum mechanics, then I'm never going to truly learn it. So it's not just enough to read it. Plenty of people read the Bible and still misrepresent the Bible. We have to study the Bible. That means things like going to small groups, you know, getting commentaries on the Bible. And that's something, I'll be 36 this week, and that's something that I'm just learning to do and learning how to use those resources and learning how to, you know, when I have questions, I know I can go to, to Pastor Dan or somebody else, you know, even my wife who's got a little bit better comprehension of the Bible. I can go to them with a question, hey, I just read this, you know, I'm a little confused of what it, what it means. You know, let's, can we talk it out? Can we go over it? Um, so it's important that we study God's word. If we, if we want, if our, if, our core, if our heart's desire is to follow God's plan, go to the Bible. You're not going to have a better instruction manual. And if you have questions, find somebody or a resource to help you understand it, help you comprehend it. One thing that uh, I've always struggled with is prayer. And I've so appreciated the last, however many weeks, six, six weeks, Dan, was it? As far as prayer, talking about prayer and how to pray properly. Yeah. So Dan's, Dan's message series on prayer, I so appreciated that because it helped me better pray, uh, develop prayer habits, and, and know how to pray, and, and, and you know, just overall, overhaul my, the way I was praying previously. Not that I was like, my prayer every morning was like the Lord's Prayer, and it was just some ritual that I did, or that I was praying just for myself. You know, I still prayed for other people, but now I feel like my prayers are more well-rounded, uh, and, and you know, I feel more close connection with God. So, if, you are, if your desire is to learn God's plan, don't just read your Bible. Don't just you know, think about how you know, God loves us so much. Pray. Talk to God. Now, communication is key because we can, we can hear from God. And I know you're saying, well, I've never, you know, I've never heard 
you know, a voice come, booming voice come down. And that's, that's not what I'm referring to. We don't communicate with God the same way that they did back in the Old Testament. But prayer does work. God will answer prayers. Lost my place. And God, one, one thing that I, I, I kind of clung to from, from the prayer message series in the fall was pray when you're mad. Pray when you're frustrated. And ex- not, not just pray, not, not saying, God, I'm really angry right now. Can you stop me from being angry? No. God, I'm really angry right now. And some of that anger may be directed toward you. you know, God wants to know. God, God created us with emotion. Now, when we let that emotion control us is when we get ourselves into trouble. But, but God wants us to bring that struggle to him. Again, because he loves us. Because his desire is to see us live a life in accordance with his plan. Because he knows it's the best way for us. So when we get those feelings, when we get those, those issues, when we're frustrated, when we're angry, when we're sad. And especially when we're happy, take it to God. Take it to God in prayer. Or when we're in need, take it to God in prayer. Because it's going to just reinforce that his plan works when that prayer is answered. And it, be very clear here, <laughs> our prayers are not always answered the way they think we think they should be. Right? You pray for a million dollars every day. You might not get it but you might be blessed in other ways, okay? So God answers prayers, and it might take a while. You might not even see that the prayer was answered until you have a reflective period where you can look back and say, oh, God didn't answer that prayer, but it was in this capacity rather than what I was thinking it would be. And I think that's so important, so important for us to be doing in 1 John chapter 5, it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, the key piece of that scripture is in according to his will, right? Not in according to our will, not in according to America's will, not in accordance to whoever's will. It's according to his will. So that is kind of a caveat there that, that when we pray... If what we're asking is in accordance with God's will, with his plan for our life, with his specific, perfect plan, he hears us. Not that he doesn't hear us if we're praying something else. But he hears us and he'll answer that prayer. In Mark 11, verses 22 through 25, this is split between two slides here, so give me a second. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to the mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and you will, it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. This is Jesus giving the idea that Prayer works. Prayer is powerful, powerful, powerful enough to move mountains. I mean, the, the, the metaphor there is, is 
grandiose and big, but his, his point remains that you pray for something and truly believe it in your heart, and of course it's in accordance with God's will, your prayer will be heard, your prayer will be answered. And this is from the mouth of Jesus. You know, it's God on earth, God in flesh, the word in flesh. Surely we can trust that. We can trust when Jesus says, your prayers will be answered. I want to roll back to John 3.16 real quick. You don't have to put the slide up, Curtis, but, you know, at the core of John 3.16 is the sacrifice piece, right? That he gave his one and only son. He sacrificed his son. God sacrificed his son for us. And this, that is, it is so important that we recognize that not only that he was sacrificed, that he was crucified, but that he rose again. Without those two pieces, we don't really have anything. And we kind of catch a glimpse of that with the apostle's life. So, you see up on the slide, Jesus' life, crucifixion, and resurrection redeem us to God's plan. But we must trust and believe that both events occurred to see the plan fully realized. So, what I mean when I say we get a glimpse of kind of almost desperation in the apostles in the three days before Jesus came back. Because to that point, the apostles had followed Jesus. They had experienced miracles. They had experienced all this stuff that they thought was a fulfillment of prophecy. And despite Jesus saying over and over again that he would rise from the dead, because he does throughout the New Testament, he alludes to the resurrection. That had to be three days of anybody that followed Jesus kind of like throwing their hands up. Well, Guess everything we did for the last three years was for in vain or, you know, didn't matter because he was dead. This man that they had followed for three years had died. He'd been hung on a cross. So the resurrection piece is so key, so important, because it was a further fulfillment of what Jesus taught and renewed everybody's trust in him. When Jesus resurrected and the apostles saw him, everything they had hoped and believed to that point was reinforced probably tenfold. And that goes for anybody else. Because it wasn't just the apostles that witnessed the resurrected Jesus. It was multitudes of people, hundreds of people. You know, I think, I think about like, and I know this is like a hot button topic right now, but like UFO reports, you know, you'd get like one or two farmers who are like, yeah, I saw that there UFO come down, it stole my cow. And it's like two people. And you're like, can we really trust two farmers like that a UFO came down and stole a cow? This wasn't two farmers. This was hundreds of people that witnessed a resurrected, living Christ. 
I'm willing to take hundreds of people's word over just two. So for, for people that doubt the resurrection, I think that in and of itself is so telling that it, is a, it was an event that occurred. And that's what we can set ourselves apart as, as Christians, is that something happened and we have it recorded, not by second-hand or third-hand accounts, by first-hand accounts. No other religion can say that. So for me, you know, I talked about God's well-rounded overall plan. You know, I look at that and I say, wow, he's thought of everything. So why not trust in his individual plan for me? If his design has been so perfect to this point to where you know, the resurrection occurs, where somebody defies death, beats death, then certainly his plan for me can be perfect as well. And John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life to the full. Now, if we follow God's instructions from the Bible, if we follow his plan, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything here on earth is going to be perfect. We're still going to experience trials and trouble, and Jesus is very clear about that when he talks to the disciples and other people throughout the Bible. When you read through Scripture, he makes it clear, you're going to have trouble. That's actually why I have this tattoo, because he talks about experiencing trials and trouble, but that he's overcome the world. This is not our home. This is not where God's plan is fully realized. God's plan is fully realized in heaven. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to commune with him. And the way for us to do that, first and foremost, step one, is trusting and believing that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose. In John 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus is actually addressing Martha here, who, uh, and uh, this is during when he, uh, his friend Lazarus passed. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He wasn't just alluding to what he was about to perform in a resurrection of his friend. He was talking about us dying, but having eternal life in heaven with him. See, that's the promise. Eternal life in heaven. And, and it's really supposed to be a realization of what was supposed to be with Adam and Eve. You know, it's our, it's our uh, second take, if you will, or our do-over, our mulligan, whatever you want to call it. God designed it so that we would have another opportunity. And an opportunity we can't mess up. An opportunity to live without sickness, without sorrow, without pain, without death, because he loves us. God loves us so much that he wants us to experience that, that he made 
His plan, ultimately, foolproof that we can achieve that. All he asks for is trust. We already talked about the apostles and and how they were able to have that renewed uh, energy behind their, you know, sharing of the gospel. You know, they... After the resurrection, they couldn't help but tell people about it to the point of death. You know, many, many of the apostles were martyred. They were killed because they wouldn't stop talking about Christ. They had nothing to gain and everything to lose in their life, and they still chose to share the gospel, to share the good news. I think that's pretty powerful. When people... When people say, well, what, what evidence do you have that this is true? That's, that's one of the things that I use if, in defense of my faith is that nobody had anything to gain by sharing the story of Christ. Nobody was getting rich off of that. They were actually killed. By the penalty of death, they were still moved to share that information. Can we say the same? I, you know, I don't know. Obviously, we're not, you know, here in America, we're not facing death for, for being Christians most of the time. You know, um, I hope it never comes to that. But there's plenty of other Christians around the world that are making the same sacrifice. Because they understand, they know the power behind a relationship with God, behind trusting in what the Bible says. And at the risk of death or imprisonment or losing their families or whatever the case may be, other Christians around the world are willing to make that sacrifice. Uh, Curtis, could you skip to the Romans verse, Romans 6, 8? It says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christ's sacrifice was redemption. It allows us to be redeemed to God and to die to sin. That's what he's asking of us. He wants us to, to make sure that we're not acting outside of his plan. That's what sin is. It's anything that doesn't fall in line with God's plan because he knows its destructive nature in our lives. He knows it's a, the destructive nature only leads to bad things for us. In John 14, 6... He makes it clear, or I'm sorry, Jesus makes it clear that the only way we see this plan fully realized is through him. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's reinforcing that idea that, that trusting in the crucifixion, the crucifixion happened, trusting what the Bible says is true, trusting in the resurrection, all those things or how we get to God, how we get to see God's plan fully realized.
So naturally, we're all good now, right? We're just going to lead these perfect lives. Everyone good with that? We're going to live in accordance with the plan? Yeah, Ben's, Ben's on board. Um, is anybody, anybody a fan of, like, Deadliest Catch or, like, Ice Road Truckers or any of those, like, Discovery Channel shows? There's, like, a big boom in, like, the early 2000s. I don't know if a lot of them are still on, but um, I remember just out of, like, sheer boredom one day I was watching, it was, I think it was Ice Road Truckers, I'm not sure, but it was, like, a one-off where they were, like, in the jungles of Panama or something. And it was, like, rainy season, and they were, you know, the, the driver... He was one of the older guys, and he had like 40 years of experience, and he was trying to like pass this, you know, go around this very narrow pass on the mountains. And like, you could tell he was still like nervous, but he's like, I got this. So just for a moment, if you would, uh, you know, just kind of humor me, I want you to imagine that that's you. You've never driven a big rig before. It's your first day, and they're asking you, to drive that same narrow pass. You don't get 10 feet before somebody walks out and puts their hand up, and they're like, hey, how you doing? And like, that's weird. So you roll down your window, roll down your window. I'm 36, this is, shouldn't be, roll down your window, there we go. <laughs> um, and he says, hey, uh, I know it's a little strange, but why don't, you, uh, why don't you just hop over to the passenger seat? I've driven this pass more times than I can count. Why don't you just hop over to the passenger seat? I can show you the ropes before you get started. That way, when you have to do it yourself next time, you'll have a better grasp on how it goes. And you're sitting there, and you're thinking, and you're like, you know, no, that's okay. I'll, I'll sit here, but why don't you climb into the passenger seat, and, and, and we'll get going. And you can just coach me from there. And he obliges. He's like, okay. I guess, you know, I can do that. I've, I could probably do this blindfolded, but, you know, I'll let you drive. As he gets in the truck, he hands you, like, this packet of papers. And it's just a bunch of credentials. It's like his history of truck driving and, like, his license and this, that, and the other. And you're like, oh, that's great. And you just hand it back to him. And a lot of you probably see where I'm going with this, but this is kind of how we approach our relationship with God or our trust in Christ. The world can be treacherous. We're, we're going to run into trouble. And we have the opportunity to have somebody in control that knows what they're doing better than we do. And I will tell you firsthand, completely open and honest, I'm the worst. <laughs> I am the worst at lifting things up or releasing them to God. It's something I struggle with a lot. But a self, self-directed life is not going to lead us to the fulfillment of God's plan. Ultimately, a self-directed life leads to destruction. So as we finish up here, I can ask the band to come back up and go over just a couple of verses, guys.
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, probably a lot of you have heard this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. It says it right there. We can trust in the Lord and when we trust him with all our heart, he sets us on a straight path. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. We can trust that he has our best interest in mind. This one is so important, Jeremiah 17, 9. We talked about how God created us with uh, emotions and, and, and feelings. But we have to be careful. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? When we let our emotions, when we let our heart control us, it can lead us astray. So trust, trust in Christ first. Let him lead us. And then Jeremiah 29, 11, another well-known verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God wants us to prosper here on earth. He wants us to live rich, fulfilling lives. And the best way for that to happen is for us to trust and follow him. And ultimately, not only will we prosper here on earth, we'll ultimately end up in heaven with God and with Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church, Lord. Um, I just ask that you help us to open our hearts, open our minds, and listen for your voice, Lord, so that we can realize your plan. We can see how much more beneficial it is to follow you than our own ambitions, our own plans, Lord. Lord, I ask that whatever somebody may be struggling with, with, with giving it up to you, Lord, I, I just ask that you bring them near to you. And whatever that struggle may be, Lord, help them to release it to you, to trust that you have a plan. We ask this and all, all, we ask all of this in your name. Amen.